So good evening, everyone. I can't believe this is the last evening we're going to be together. We were talking about, oh, five more days might be just about right for us. (laughs) Uh, Make no mistake, we've been tenderizing our hearts in this process of um, exploring uh, aging, dying, and awakening. And I've noticed with a number of you that I've met with and sat with that there's been a, you know, some real shifts over the week. There's been shifts in the chatter and um, uh, less doing and more opening to just what's here. Um, A sense of um, intimacy with what's arising and less struggle with it. And it's just been lovely um, insights that you've shared in the inquiry during the week. And so it's really been an honor to uh, bear witness to your lives, your journey. It's been great medicine for me. So I thank you for your practice and just a general sense of gratitude for uh, just the space itself for us to come together and be real, to be regal, and to also look at reality. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. This, this particular collection of flowers and blooms that are where we're waking up in truth together to, to what's here. So it's, it's been a tender time for me. And it's been lovely to just see uh, a bit of lightning lightness as a collective uh, emerge through the week. And we're, you know, kind of transitioning back into um, what some people say is the real world, but I like what Eugene said, that this notion of uh, a meditation retreat in our lives should really be erased. It's that it's a false line there that we take ourselves wherever we go and we take our awareness and it really is the quality of awareness uh, and our ability to be with what arises and not turn away and to embrace it, to recognize it, to allow it, to intimately investigate what's right here and then to turn toward it and see what's needed What principle might bring a sense of freedom? What practice can I allow that I know that I can allow and open to that would bring a sense of release from any sense of contraction that you um, experience in what life is offering? So we're, we're going home and we're taking these bodies and everything that goes with our aging Um, We're taking our awareness with us uh, when we leave here and uh, hopefully remembering that it's more about uh, allowing uh, awareness than it is about trying to be aware. So relaxing the effort that we tend to put into our practice. So we had a sweet time this afternoon of looking at the inquiry of 
what matters now. And a few days ago, we were looking at if you had 12 months, six months, three months. So this kind of graduating into a, a quality of presence with, with our lives and our ages. And uh, what Anna was saying earlier today about, uh, you know, looking at the, as we get older, we're, look, we're looking at possibly a shorter span in front of us than what might have been behind us. And these are all real stimulations for us when we go back into the world. So what matters now, and, and what will you do with this precious life, this precious birth that you have, the rest of your life? What are you going to do with that? And how might you express your life uh, more genuinely, more authentically, uh, with, less, with more ease as you move forward? The Buddha referred to himself as a bodhisattva um, and, uh, in reference to past lives prior to his enlightenment and the teachings. He's re- he refers to himself as a bodhisattva. And a bodhisattva is a person just like you and me who's devoting themselves to waking up for the benefit of, of all beings. And uh, the bodhisattvas are refined over many lifetimes. So the idea is not that you get it this time necessarily, but that you are actually cultivating and refining a quality of heart. Our bodhicitta is what's referred to. It's a quality of heart and mind that supports not just ourselves, but it's about the benefit of all beings. It's an understanding that uh, there's a quality of heart that radiates, that has radiance into the world that's in service to all beings. In the Mahayana tradition, there are vows that are taken, and they sound something like this. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to liberate them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to transcend them. Dharma teachings are boundless. I vow to master them. The Buddha's enlightened way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. Now, this is a big kind of undertaking. <laughs> you know, these, uh, this, is not, this doesn't mean that I'm going to make sure everybody I see and everybody in the world is going to, you know, get this. This, these principles or these vows are steeped in an understanding of our interdependence, of our um, non-self, all-self uh, idea. And it's true that we're interconnected and that what we do how, when we're cultivating our heart is making a difference. And I have a couple of uh, quotes that might be helpful and understanding more this quality of interdependence. And this one is Albert Einstein. And he says that a human being is part of the whole, called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us. 
restricting us in our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circles of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the world of nature in its beauty. So that's a real understanding of this sense of inner interdependence and that what we do matters in our lives. And Martin Luther King says that uh, all life is interrelated. Somehow we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. This is the interrelated structure of reality. So these are beautiful ways of understanding this, this, this intention of the bodhisattva or the, this practice in, in its uh, purest form is about being of service to all sentient beings without exception. And the bodhisattva cultivates what's referred to as a paramis, which are these qualities of heart that support us in crossing the floods of our lives, all of the challenges of our lives. And, and these uh, qualities are generosity, ethical integrity, which is really about di- discipline, renunciation, this sense of letting go because you really understand you can't hold on to anything, wisdom, seeing the nature of things, energy, which I associate with courage sometimes. Patience, patience not to be confused with tolerance, but a patience and understanding that things uh, are the way that they are. Truthfulness, resolve, kindness, and equanimity, cultivation of a stable mind. And these are qualities that support us, that, that, that we practice and cultivate and polish through our relationships with life, through our relationship to what life offers. And the Bodhisattva uses every obstacle in life to cultivate this bodhicitta. So the relationship to obstacles is how you polish the heart-mind into um, being in, in the world in service to others. Anna talked last night about the tremendous creative potential that we have, uh, you know, to kind of put our creative energy and our offers into the world. She talked about life as proof, and I see that as a way that we can express our lives through our actions and especially through our creative efforts, this sense of flowering um, and being a rare flower that is existing in the world. And, and I like the word regalness because I, 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 I see elders as regal <laughs> beings that have much to offer, much fragrance to offer, much color, and still energy. You know, we're still here, very much alive in this form with all, the, with all of the above that goes with it. So how do you want to express your life? Triumph Trumper Rinpoche says that we are architects of space. 
So we're making it all up anyway. So how do we make up something that's an actual offering to the world? Many of us have talked to, many of you are, are artists, you, you know, writers and dancers and singers and performers and drummers and thinkers and gardeners and any number of things where you put your unique thumbprint on it and it's your particular offering to the world without um, apology, without um, inhibition. It's a, it's a coming out that we get to do regardless of the age that we are. So my mother's birthday would have been last Sunday, and uh, she would have been 92 years old. And for um, her, she died um, a little over a year ago, just short of, one month short of being 90. And she was quite ill, and uh, her body riddled with all kinds of cancers and tumors. And, and uh for her 90th birthday, she threw herself a party. And uh, she's a musician. She was a musician, and she played in the church, and she was a choir director. And what she did was uh, helped people sing the gospel song that brought them to life. And she had this knack with all things related to her hands. So she was a great cook, and she played the piano beautifully, and she used to play the piano so beautifully, I used to wish I was black and white piano keys. That's, she used to spice that chicken so well, I wish I was a raw piece of meat in the, in the bowl, you know, she just, you know. But anyway, she, uh, she was, um, she invited um, some of the elders that were still alive, she still played the piano. She played the piano through her birthday celebration. And what was funny is, is with eight kids, you know, she didn't really invite her eight kids. She invited her uh, other elder community people. Then she had t tables for the people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100. And they all rode in in wheelchairs and walkers and all dappered up and... And what, what was so amazing, I showed up anyway, uh, unlike some of my other siblings. And she prepared the food, most of the food, and she sat at the piano. And one by one, the elders who she had coached in bringing their song to life came up and paid tribute to her by singing that song she taught them. And she played the piano. And it was really a moment, because she knew she had a sense that she wasn't going to, you know, make it to her 90th birthday. So she created a, a, a beautiful ceremony for herself. Uh, she was definitely a woman who did it her way. So this was, this was really the, the, uh, a tribute to her. And it was amazing to hear the voices because they were singing their song, they still had it. It was still their song. It was just this beautiful offering. So my mother, uh, 
her love offering was through music, through the piano, and through um, helping people come to life through the, the magic of music, through the vibration, through the harmony, through the, through the um, uh, expression that way. And my mother ha also had a lot of hardship in her life. You know, she really suffered a lot and worried a lot. And at the same time, she had this exquisite capacity to serve and, and, and that she actually found a way to make that happen in a sea of the difficulties she was having. So sharing the Jane Hirschfield quote again that I shared earlier, she says, suffering leads us to beauty, to beauty the way thirst leads us to water. And this is an example of, of, of how uh, suffering can really transform into something quite beautiful. Jane Hirschfield also says that we make art because our lives are ungraspable, uncarryable, and impossible to navigate without it. She says that art isn't a superficial addiction, addition to our lives. It's as necessary as oxygen. Amid the cliffs and abysses every life brings, art allows us to find a way to agree to suffering, to include it and not be broken, to say yes to what actually is, and then to say something further something that changes and opens the heart, the ears, the eyes, the mind. She says that a work of art is always a conversation, not a, a monologue. So that's a very beautiful way of, of touching into the power of a creative expression and the, the use of art or any kind of creative expression in your lives. And I'm inviting you to consider what, what that might be for you. One of the yogis here wrote me a note, uh, and, and he, it was a quote by Bob Dylan that says, behind every beautiful thing, there's been some kind of pain. And it's the same idea that we can, uh, what do they say, make lemonade out of lemons or something like that. That we, uh, it's not either or, it's this, this, uh, the, the, the lotus flower growing out of uh, mud, something like that. So art penetrates separation and it deepens intimacy. And in many ways, we're all uh, contemplative artists. That's a term I heard from Pat Coffey, who's a, a meditation teacher in Charlottesville, Virginia, that I work with. And he talks about the, contempl the contemplative artists as our, he says, our practice is art, not science. And it encourages and expands and freedom from the prison of the ego. So this sense of being a mindful artist, being a contemplative artist. And the Buddha uh, prior to his enlightenment, who was practicing a number of really extreme practices, you know, practices that brought him close, cl 
close to death. And before his enlightenment, um, he tells a story of having a reflection when he was a young kid of being at a festival. And this reflection supported him in seeing that there's some joys and some expressions that are worthy of uh, recalling. And that this joy brought him great, great pleasure. And doing these extreme practices, it was about trying to reduce and eliminate pleasure. Uh, Yet this reflection was nourishing for him. And uh, he acknowledged that it's okay to experience this joy, especially if it does no harm. And when I think about this story, which has many dimensions to it, I imagine the Buddha as a little boy, you know, kind of being up in a tree and watching the festival and seeing the musicians and hearing the music and seeing people in a really joyful place of celebrating their bodies and their lives through expression. And uh, along with this reflection, I was thinking of what Anna said last night, which I so loved. All, all, all beings are cheering you on. The note she got in the cookie bag, that all beings are cheering you on. That there was some quality of yes, go for it, enjoy, um, that's in the mix. Audre Lorde, um, Caribbean-American writer, womanist, civil rights activist, says that the sharing of joy, whether physical, emotional, psychic, or intellectual, forms a bridge for understanding what is not shared, and it lessens the threat of distance. So again, art having this harmonics that builds intimacy and unifies our connection in, in, uh, in, in the big sense of the word. And um, some of you know Angelus Arian, who passed away recently. And uh, I remember having tea with her. I met her, and she said, oh, this I was writing my book at the time, so it was in the around 2000 or so. And I said, you know, this is, we were sitting and having tea, and she lived here in Sausalito and did quite a bit of work around aging and elders and the changes in life. And, uh, you know, I said, I'm writing this book, and it's driving me crazy, and, you know, it's about rage, and every page I write, it wants to burn up the page, and I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm pulling my hair out. And, uh, and she looked at me, and she says, when's the last time you danced? And when have you worked in your garden? And what musical instrument do you play? And what she said to me was that it's so important when you're doing your thing in the world and working or, you know, meeting struggles in the world that you have this balance of a creative expression that it actually supports us being being more balanced in our lives to have some kind of expression. 
And I knew exactly what she was talking about because when I was young, like the Buddha, the festival I went to every Friday was in my living room because my mom had these jam sessions, these jazz jam sessions. And they were held at our house because she played the piano and you couldn't move that instrument. But on Fridays, everybody would show up dressed up and bring the bass and the, you know, the trombones and the, you know, all of these amazing instruments. And they would improvise with music all evening. And it's, it's one of my most fondest memories. And this was all happening at the same time of intense civil rights movement. So it really mirrored, you know, it brought me much joy to see that they could find joy in a sea of the struggles that were out in the world. And we might want to think about how that works for us. Where might a creative expression support um, and help balance and harmonize some of the struggles and suffering that we are living with or uh, facing in our lives, with our children, with our loved ones, with our own bodies, with our aging, with our dying, with death all around us, with the planet, with the politics. You know, the list goes on. And we've got our warrior marks. And one of the ways we create an atmosphere of grace around this is through an artistic expression. And I found that what brings uh, um, what happens when you're in the practice of a, an artistic expression or a creative expression is that we're developing these paramis. We're learning about tenderness and empathy and flexibility, curiosity, kindness, generosity, gratitude. These are the things we develop when we have a discipline of um, creating our expression. Tremendous intimacy. So whatever you do in the world, it can, it can be an offering. It doesn't have to be some grand instrument. But what would it be like if whatever you did with your life was a source of an offering? I mean, at our age, if you have grandkids and great, a great-granddaughter like I do, you know the, the artistry and the power of a hug or full presence when they're doing whatever they're doing. You know the power of that. That in itself is an offering, is a genuine expression of heart. You know, you know many people that grow up and say, my grandmother looked at me. I'm really waiting for that one, you know. I remember when my grandmother really looked at me, melted my heart, you know. <laughs> Let's hope that happens. Rumi says, today, like every other day, we wake up empty and scared. Don't open the door of your study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the earth.
so artistry has a way of protecting and, and supporting hopefulness in the world. There's a magical quality to uh, what we discover that we can create, just like when we're sitting on the cushion. And so many of you have said this week that I didn't even, I couldn't have even made that up. I couldn't have even known to want that, some of the insights and things that were revealed, as you said. And um, art has that same quality. So I'd like to um, leave you with, uh, with the sound of a bodhisattva, the late, great Nina Simone, who some of you may know. She was born in 1933, and she died in 2003, and she was the sixth child of a preacher family in North Carolina. And she aspired to be a concert pianist and was trained well at Juilliard. And, and she was very um, disliked in this country. So she lived a large part of her life in France. And against all odds, found a way to create her own voice and sound and piano offering. Um, as a form of activism and, and offering in the world. See, what we create doesn't have to be what everybody likes, but it, it, it has to be true to form to, to who you are. So um, if Nina Simone had lived in my neighborhood when I was growing up, she and my mom would have been Sangha siblings. <laughs> they would have made music together and magic together, and probably fried some chicken together. But, but they would have done beautiful things with their singing. And so this, um, you can set that up. This, this song is called, I Wish I Knew How, to, How It Would Feel to Be Free. And I'm sharing it because I want you to notice um, how she uses her entire body to make this offering, this, to sing this song, that there's transmission in her simplicity, in her non-apology, in her strength, in the words themselves, um, and in the vibration and harmonics that come with it. And so I want you to listen uh, deeply and to let yourself be touched by this transmission. And uh, then we'll sit for a little while. I, 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 oh, well, what do you think? Let's see how it looks. Well, I don't know. That might be better. All right. Thank you, guys. That might be fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Let's get good volume here. any louder.
it's moving now. So let's sit together. Allowing the experience without a story.
and soar to the sky and look down to the sea because I know, I know what it means to be free. So despite our age and illness and challenges in our lives may all beings, may all of us through our own example be free and extend this freedom in all directions to all beings without exception. May we all be free. have a walking period and come back at nine o'clock for our final sit. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.